You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in here to the 10 of 12 podcast. I am your host, Ryan Gilbert. Today on the show, we are going to be talking some Big 12 basketball. It's been quite some time since we've done that here on the show, but football season is pretty much over. In fact, it is over for each of the 10 teams in the Big 12. So we'll be switching our gears here to basketball. We'll be talking about each of these 10 teams in the Big 12, just kind of giving you a nice update, a nice refresher you know, as to where they stand, what's going on. Um, who's been good, who's been bad, what they've done right, what they've done wrong, all that stuff here today on the show. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at 10of12podcast. I'd appreciate that very much. You can stay up to date with everything going on around the Big 12, the latest updates, news, predictions, highlights, scores. It's all there on Twitter at 10of12podcast. So um, we'll go ahead and go through each of these 10 teams um, kind of just giving you my um, my ranking, I guess my power ranking, so to speak, if that's what you want to call it. Um, I've got Iowa State at number 10. I've got K-State at number 9. 8 is TCU. Number 7, Oklahoma. Number 6 is Oklahoma State. Here into the top 5, i got West Virginia at the 5 spot, Texas Tech at number 4, Kansas at 3, Texas at 2, and to no surprise, Baylor is at number 1. Before we go through um, and talk about each of these teams, Real quick here, we'll talk some bracketology. Number one, um, you've got Baylor, and then you've also got Texas, who is now a number one seed after that win over Kansas um, on Saturday. That was you know, quite the performance from Texas up here um, in Allen Fieldhouse. And then you've got Kansas dipping back to a two seed. West Virginia's at a five seed right now. Texas Tech is a seven seed. Oklahoma is an eight seed. TCU is right there on the bubble as a last four team in as an 11 seed. And then you've got Oklahoma State, who is probably one of those next four teams out. Um, that's probably how I would have to give those those schools. That's according to um, CBS's bracketology. So I, I, I use those seedings from there. And quite honestly, if I had to create my own, um, I think Oklahoma, it's, Oklahoma State's probably going to be in the field when it's all said and done. I don't know if TCU gets in, and I certainly don't think Oklahoma would be up there at the eight spot. Oklahoma's a solid team, um, but I don't know if I'd put them up there in in the eight line. So we'll go ahead and talk about each of these teams now. Um, we'll start it off with Iowa State. We'll go up the line here from the bottom of the standings just for simplicity reasons. Um, so starting with off with, with Iowa State here, there is no Tyrese Halliburton. I think that that is very clear. It's very evident if you've watched Iowa State play at all this season. They do not look good. And I don't know if there's much debate um, about this team at the bottom. And that is, of course, with K-State being at the 9 spot, that kind of tells you, if you've been following K-State, that shows you how bad Iowa State really has been. Now, they haven't been healthy. Um, you know, Trey Jackson returned on Saturday against Baylor. Um, he only scored three points, but his presence was you know, felt on the court. Iowa State, honestly, had a chance to beat Baylor. I don't have the box score pulled up in front of me, but I believe that the Cyclones got it within... I think two or three points with probably 10 minutes to go in that game against the Bears. So let's be real here. I don't think anyone gave Iowa State a chance to actually win that game, but they made it a game. They gave some effort, and Trey Jackson coming back for the Cyclones is big. 
Um, you know, also Xavier Foster with his foot injury, he has not been 100%. He didn't play against Baylor. Who knows? Maybe if, you know, Foster was in there, they would have had, you know, a really good chance to beat Baylor with the way they played. But, um, you know, he hasn't been 100%. Foster's a heck of an athlete, you know, a top 100 recruit, a four-star athlete, according to 24-7 sports. So, you know, they haven't been the healthiest of teams in the Big 12, but let's be real, I don't think anybody is ever 100% healthy, so it's not an excuse. You know, it's very cliche to say, but next man up mentality is what Steve Prohm's going to have to be using up there in Ames. He's got some pieces to his puzzle that I, I think are okay. Bolton's not bad. You know, he's got Condit. He's got some pieces that he can work with, but... Let's be real. If Jackson comes back and Foster comes back, that is a much better um, Iowa State team for Prom up there in Ames. I mean, like I just mentioned it though, but you know, without without Halberton, they're not doing much. And I was always someone who was very critical of Halberton. Um, I, I still am. I don't think he's going to be a good player in the NBA. Um, he's he's got a very slow jump shot. It comes out of his his release is slow. Is what I'm trying to say. He's not big enough. Is he lengthy? Of course he is, but he just needs to put on a lot more weight and muscle if he wants to not get bullied around in the in the NBA. But it's the NBA, and it is different than college. So, you know, I what do I know? Like I I I just don't get why any team would waste a draft pick on Halbert. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope he can prove me wrong. But at this point in his career. I've just never understood why anyone would want him in the NBA. I, I, I really just don't get it at all. With that being said, though, I think that his absence is, you know, it's proving that without him, that team is struggling even more. Of course, he went out last year, I believe, in February when he had that injury to his hand, uh, sidelined him for the season, and Iowa State really struggled a lot more than they even were. So, you know, Hal Burton, that's kind of the bottom line. They're just, they just don't have enough right now, not enough players healthy for the Cyclones, um, if you've got them coming up on your schedule, you're probably looking at a win as Iowa State simply just, they just aren't able to do much right now. They're 0-3 in the Big 12. Right now they're 2-5 um, overall on the season. Jacksonville State and Arkansas Pine Bluff are their only two wins. You know, <laughs> I think that they shocked a lot of people. Um, I wouldn't say they shocked a lot of people, but Kansas State shocked a lot of people when they were able to beat Iowa State up there in Ames by nine points. K-State actually looked pretty good against a, you know, Big 12 team. So I, I I think the future might be bright. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but right now things are not going well in Ames for Steve Prohm. We'll go back up to number nine, uh, Kansas State here. I like the Wildcats in the nine spot. I think that this is where they belong. I, I don't know um, what I, I feel like I've, I'm beating a dead horse here when I talk about Kansas State because every time I do such a thing, um, you know, like I said with Iowa State, the future is bright. The freshman class for Kansas State is really good. If you haven't been paying attention, which if you're listening to this on Go Powercat, I'm sure you've been keeping up with the Wildcats on the basketball court. But if you haven't, it's Bruce Weber's top-rated recruit uh, recruiting class ever at Kansas State. So there's a lot of optimism with them. Nigel Pack is a really good point guard. Davion Bradford is one of the you know best I think centers K State's had in a while. Um, a really good freshman class, man. Selton Miguel's got some potential. Luke Kazupki, we haven't seen him yet, you know, in there yet at all. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with his jump shot because that's why he is in Manhattan is to hit three-pointers. <laughs> so K-State badly needs that. They shot 25 threes against TCU on Saturday. That's not a recipe for winning basketball games. And then, of course, you've got Siri Lewis, who is a nice, you know, contributor for that freshman class. But 
the future is bright in Manhattan. I think everyone on that team can give you something. I think that there'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Fort Hayes State loss. Absolutely embarrassing. Probably the worst K-State loss. You know, I've been a Wildcat fan my, my whole life. I've been a diehard fan. I think the worst loss ever by a K-State basketball team. And I've, you know, I watched them last year. I watched them in the 2014-15 season when they lost to Texas Southern. And that season was full of frustrations. I've been a fan my whole life. I don't know if there's ever been a loss worse than that Fort Hayes State loss. But they came back and they won four of the last five games um, after that one. And of course, the only loss in that stretch was to Baylor. So I think that Bruce Weber did a fine job of I don't know if you would say getting his locker room back because I don't think his locker room really went anywhere. But Mike McGurl talked about it. There were some, you know, quote unquote, BS is what he said. What does that mean? I don't know. What is the BS? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. But I think that, you know, after a loss like that, the team could have easily checked out on the season. No, these young guys care. They want to be good. They won four of the next five games and then dropped a home one to TCU. Um and just watching that TCU team in front of me in Manhattan, that's not a bad team at all. So overall, K-State, it's going to be a, a slow, long year. I think these development, the biggest key here for Bruce Weber is getting you know, the, the best out of his players. It's been a very big issue, so to speak, for Weber here in Manhattan. You know, you look at Marcus Foster, one of the best K-State athletes, basketball you know, players, in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, a great freshman season. And then what exactly happened? We don't know. Maybe he heard some things from NBA scouts or what have you. Maybe did some off the court, you know, things you're not supposed to do. He's gone. After a sophomore season, he's dismissed from the team. We look at what happened last year. And, and not just Marcus Foster, though, in 2014, he, he, he torpedoed the program and took pretty much everyone with them. You know, everyone was gone. Trey Harris... Malik Harris, you know, everyone, Nigel Johnson, everyone kind of left with him. Awundu was pretty much the only guy to stay for Kansas State. And now look at him, uh, you know, playing NBA ball for the Dallas Mavericks. But even now we go to last year, Cartier Jada, not a good locker room player. You know, K-State, that's been Bruce Weber's Achilles heel, okay? If Barry Brown wants to come in and manage that locker room, then great. If Magruder wants to come in, Jacob Pollen, if these guys want to come in and manage that locker room, Bruce Weber's going to have a pretty good team because he's he's got talent. I think that there's there's no question that Weber can recruit talent. It's about keeping that talent, you know, retaining it, maintaining it, whatever the word is there that you want to use. He needs to keep these guys around. And I don't think that that Lewis, maybe Kazubki, I mean, there's five guys in the freshman class. The odds of all five of them staying are low. Let's be real here. I think that Kazubki or Lewis may transfer at some point, but if you can keep Bradford, Pack, and Miguel, you know, Dejuan Gordon can keep growing. Mike McGurl, he's going to be back next year. Bruce Weber's pretty much alluded to that um, with, with the extra COVID season. The future is bright for Wildcat basketball. Um, you know, my boss Fitz at Go Power Cat has always talked about, you know, do you want to argue about should K-State be here in this rebuilding process in year, what is it, year eight or nine under Bruce Weber? We can argue about that all day long because it's, you know, you've got a really good point. It's it's kind of embarrassing. At the same time, though, here we are. You know, you can't change it. They're not going to fire Bruce. Gene Taylor 
has made it pretty clear that Bruce Weber isn't going anywhere. So do you want to complain about it and whine about it and say Bruce should be fired? Or do you want to look at the positives and say, yes, this freshman class actually is really good and they've got a lot of potential moving forward? I think that that's what you've got to do at this point. And I I think you've got a, a, a solid argument if you say that Bruce Weber should be fired. There's a lot of reasons um, that would back that up. At the same time, though, there are some reasons for optimism moving forward. And like I said, it's simply not going to happen. Gene Taylor's made it clear Weber ain't going anywhere. So the future is bright for Wildcat basketball. Uh, Right now, as we stand, I think that they are the number nine team in the Big 12 Conference. Moving up the line here, I like TCU at number eight. Um, Like I said earlier, that's a team I saw in Manhattan, a pretty good-looking basketball team, but they're at number eight. So that might confuse you just a little bit. And the only explanation and reason I can give to this is that the Big 12 is so strong this year, right? If TCU played in the ACC, which is always, you know, historically top-heavy, or the SEC, the Big Ten, whatever conference you want to name, TCU is probably going to be a middle-of-the-pack team. But TCU plays in the Big 12, the best conference in the nation, you know, year after year. Ken Palm, BPI, you know, RPI, all these things consistently rank the Big 12 number one. So TCU is pretty much the one suffering from that. I think that they're a solid bunch, but I think that they are the worst of the best or the best of the worst, whatever you you want to call TCU. They're an okay basketball team, but I don't think that they are ever going to go out and completely dominate an opponent. Um, in Fort Worth. They didn't really dominate K-State. They let K-State around, uh, hang around in this game and gave K-State a pretty good chance to win. Um, you know, they allowed K-State to come back in the second half, and I, I don't want to put too much emphasis on, you know, one simple game um, because it's a long season. But still, you know, I've been, I guess I've been critical over the last minute of TCU. They're a good team. I, you know, you know, Mike Miles is probably one of the best freshmen that's not named, you know, Cade Cunningham in the Big 12. You know, they, they, they've got their pieces there in Fort Worth. I think Jamie Dixon gets a little bit um, too much criticism for his, his job in Fort Worth. Um, well, I, I wouldn't say that. I think that you know, he's, he is, his criticism is warranted, but Dixon's not a terrible coach. A lot of, you know, in the, in the Big 12, a lot of us tend to forget that Dixon had a lot of success at Pitt before he was in Fort Worth. And, you know, let's not forget that Pitt was in the Big East when the Big East was really flipping good. You know, that was Syracuse, you know, UConn, Georgetown. I mean, those were the glory days of my childhood, you know, watching the Big East tournament, um, you know, every March. That was, you know, the Big East, the old Big East, nothing beats that. And Pitt was very success, successful in that. So I think Dixon's doing a fine job. But overall, the, you know, this is kind of the consequence of the Big 12 being so good. Somebody's going to have to be you know, at the bottom, near the bottom of the standings. K-State and Iowa State are going to be there no matter what season it is. COVID, no COVID, good Big 12, bad Big 12. But up there at number eight, TCU is the one that really suffers the most from the Big 12 being so good this year. Um, they don't really have any quality wins yet. They beat Oklahoma State by one point, who I do have ranked above, you know, the Horn Frogs. They beat AM. I'll give them that one. Other than that, though, I don't know how much credit you can give this team. They lost to Providence. They lost to Oklahoma. You know, CBS has them right there on the bubble in bracketology. We'll see what happens moving forward. I've only seen them a few times. I don't know if I would put them in the tournament. And if they're in the tournament, I don't think they win a game. 
it's a long season, though. They are 2-1 in Big 12 play. They're 9-2 overall. So they're winning those games that they need to win. But moving forward here in the Big 12, they've got KU coming up tomorrow. Um, I'm recording this on, on, on the 4th. So they've got KU coming up tomorrow. Then they got Baylor. If TCU can win one of those two games, I'm on board. If they win both, then I'm ranking them number one for crying out loud. But, you know, if they lose both of those games, I'm not going to sit here and say TCU is the worst team in the Big 12 or anything like that. But, you know, I think that that kind of backs up my point that they're the worst of the best or the best of the worst, you know, whatever you want to call them, in the Big 12. If they can put up a fight, I think there's reason for optimism. But these next two games should tell us a good amount about TCU. Are they good? Are they great? Or are they just kind of what TCU's traditionally been, you know, in the Big 12? So we'll see what the Horn Frogs can do moving forward. I like them at number eight. Let's move up the line again to number seven. Let's talk some Oklahoma basketball. Um, this is really just a middle-of-the-pack team in the Big 12. They're, you know, TCU, Oklahoma, not much different between these two teams. I, I think that they belong in that worst-of-the-best, best-of-the-worst category with TCU as well. They've got a good athlete in Austin Reeves. I like Brady Manick as well. Other than that, though, I don't know if Oklahoma really has much to offer in the Big 12. Lon Kruger, we know his tenure. He's a heck of a coach. You know, he's taken you know, a million different teams to the NCAA tournament. He's a good coach. He's a great coach. Um, you know, they're 6-2 and two right now on the season, 2-1 and one in Big 12 play. They're coming off a win over West Virginia on Saturday. The other, <clears throat> excuse me, the other win was over TCU, and that loss was to Texas Tech. So, you know, overall, looking at their non-con, again, same thing with TCU. They don't have really any wins that jump out to me and say, hey, that was legitimate. They played Xavier. Um, and then Oncon lost that game by 22 points. So I don't know if Oklahoma is really any better or worse than TCU. I've got them a, a hair ahead of TCU just because I think that Reeves and Manic are better than, let's say, Nemhard or, you know, uh, what, let's say RJ Nemhard and Kevin Samuel for, for TCU. So I, I give Oklahoma, Oklahoma the, the slight nod here. Not by much, though. You know, Gibson is, you know, Hits eight threes um, in that game as Oklahoma beat West Virginia. Oh, you know West Virginia. We'll talk about them here in just a minute. But that that team stock is falling. So we'll see what happens. Oklahoma again. Not much to say honestly. If we're being honest here about Oklahoma, they're a middle of the pack team in the Big Twelve. They're pretty vanilla. You know you you know what you're going to get. They're going to beat who they're supposed to beat. And I you know they're going to probably. I don't know if they'll sniff a victory against Baylor. Kansas or Texas, but we'll see what happens. We'll give them some. We'll give them a chance here later on this season, as they <laughs> literally like TCU play Baylor and then Kansas, so they're flip flopping games. And you know what? If one of these two teams can get a victory, that's going to be some big brownie points for me um, moving forward. The thing is, TCU's got both games in Fort Worth, whereas Oklahoma travels to Waco and then travels to Lawrence. So you know, home field advantage. I, I guess, I don't know, I don't want to shoot down my own point I just made there, but let's be real here. If you watch Texas and Kansas, I mean, home field advantage really isn't a thing, especially when you don't have, you know, 15,000 fans, whatever it is, in Allen Fieldhouse, you know, harassing the referee, harassing, I don't want to say harassing because they're not, you know, bad people or anything, but, you know, um, you know, just getting in. Um, the ears of the fans and the referees and, you know, the players and all that stuff, that does make a difference. You know, Allen Fieldhouse is, uh, you know, whether you want to say that the refs are unfair or not, Allen Fieldhouse is, 
I'd say, the best home field advantage in all of college basketball. So that's it's big. Without fans, you know, I remember Creighton was playing against Kansas, and I, I swear there were more Creighton fans <laughs> than Jayhawk fans. At least that's what I heard on, on the television. But uh, that's apart from the point here. Oklahoma State is at number six. We'll talk about them here. This will wrap up the first half. Um, so, But, yeah, Oklahoma, number seven. You know, I've said it here three or four times. They're a middle-of-the-pack team. You know what you're getting from them. They're very vanilla. I like Oklahoma at number seven. Number six here, Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, this is probably going to come as a surprise to some people. Um, you know, Oklahoma State's probably down there at the seven or eight, you know, mark. If you were to ask most people where you would rank the Cowboys, I like Oklahoma State at number six. And here's why. I think that they've got a lot of potential moving forward. Okay, right now they're one and two in league play, but they're coming off a win over Texas Tech, which was pretty impressive that they were that they were able to grind out a win like that. And guess what? Their two losses in league play are to TCU and Texas by a combined four points. So they're four points away, you know, from being an undefeated team right now. And I'm sure that you've heard about it. If you've been living under a rock, you've not heard about it. But, you know, Cade Cunningham is one of the best freshmen, if not the best freshman in all of college basketball. He's in Stillwater. How did Mike Boynton land him? He's got the connection, you know, with his coaching staff to Cunningham. So he's elite. You know, you know, oh, you know, Cade Cunningham is elite. There's no question about that. He is a heck of an athlete. Um, you know, Rondell Walker is a very nice compliment to him. In his freshman class, um, you know Isaac Likely is healthy. That is huge. Isaac Likely last year, if he is healthy, this is something that I will you know go to my hill on um, and die for. If he's healthy last year, that's a team that's going to probably make the NCAA tournament. But he was not healthy, um, you know, battling his sickness, and he was never on. Just he, I wouldn't say he was on. wasn't on the same page. But he just wasn't on the right page, I guess, as Oklahoma State. So, you know, he cares. He wants to buy in. He's a heck of an athlete. But Isaac Likely, this team, I think, is going to get only better as the season progresses. And if you're a K-State fan listening here, I feel like I have to mention this one here. Donovan Williams, um, if you, you know, you probably remember this. This was back in April. He was being com- uh, recruited by Oklahoma State and Kansas State, among others. Um, you know, Williams silently commits to Kansas State. And then about a day before his announcement, uh, JT Thor, who was originally, you know, thought to commit to Oklahoma State, goes to Auburn, opens up a spot for the Cowboys, um, and Donovan Williams flips and commits to Oklahoma State. And K-State fans were irate. Bruce Weber, how do you lose this guy? You know, I, I, I totally get that. But let me tell you a fact. Donovan Williams has scored zero points for Oklahoma State this season. Zero points. So, I, I mean, he's played, and I think he's played in a majority of their games. He just hasn't scored a single point. So, if you want to be upset about K-State losing out on Williams, that's fine. Um, but a guy like this, you know, he was originally committed to, was it Iowa State or Nebraska? He was, it was one or the other, and he kind of decommitted. Um, because of the Hoiberg coaching change. So I, I guess it was probably Nebraska because that's where he's from. Um, you know, decommitted from there, committed to Kansas State essentially, decommitted from there. Now he's at Oklahoma State, hasn't scored a single point. Wildcat fans were frustrated when they couldn't get Donovan Williams. Well, I've got news for you. He hasn't scored a point yet. 
I don't know if it's really that much of a loss. Look at what Nigel Pack's doing. Look at what Siri Lewis is contributing. Look what, you know, Selton Miguel, Davion Bradford, Luke Kazuki, if he's healthy. You've got a good group of guys that care. And Donovan Williams, I, I, I've, you know, I've talked to him. You know, I interviewed him. He's a good guy. Um, but I don't know if he is would be the best fit in this K-State locker room. So I think that you're happy here with what you've got as a K-State fan. Um, but again, I don't want to be critical of Williams, but he's got zero points. That is just a fact um, in Oklahoma State. Nonetheless, though, like this, this doesn't matter. This is a little tidbit here. If you're not a K-State fan, I'm sorry I bored you with that. But Williams is not important like for Oklahoma State at all. Um, you know the the important you know players here are Cade Cunningham, you know Isaac Likely, Rondell Walker, the Boone twins. They've got those pieces to be good. Um, and going back to last year, they didn't really lose much. You know, Lindy Waters was easily replaceable. Um, you know, you've got guys like, you know, Thomas DeZagua. Those guys are easily replaceable. And moving forward, you know, they didn't I, – I don't know how I can really communicate what I'm trying to say here, but they didn't lose much. So if they lost a lot from last year, I, I think you're going to say, yeah – down year for the Cowboys, but they really didn't. There, I mean, it's not like this is a slope going down. It's a slope going up at a very high angle. I think Oklahoma State's got a good chance to make the tournament. I mean, for crying out loud, they're seven and two on the season right now. They're looking pretty good. They beat Wichita State. You know, they beat Marquette. Their only losses are by a combined four points. Like I said, I like what Oklahoma State is doing. I think that they're an NCAA tournament team moving forward. That'll wrap up things here. For the first half of the show, second half of the show, we'll talk about the top five teams, according to myself here in the Big 12 Conference. Should be a lot of fun as we get to the teams that are actually really, really, really good um, in elite in college basketball. Stay tuned. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in here to the 10 of 12 podcast. I am your host, Ryan Gilbert. Second half of the show coming your way as we go through these top five teams in the Big 12. Number five, we'll start it off here, West Virginia. Um, Oscar Shibway, we'll start it off with him. That is the biggest um, you know, notable you know, fact here we've got with West Virginia. Shibway stepped away 
from the program a few weeks, I guess a few days ago, pardon me. Um, he won't be back, according to Bob Huggins. Um, if you've watched West Virginia at all this season, you've probably noticed Oscar Shibwe's, I don't know if the right word is effort or attitude or energy or well, you know whatever the word you want to use there is. It hasn't been there. Something's been off for Oscar Shibwe. If you watched him as a freshman, he was just, you know, smile on his face 24-7, always happy, um, you know, just a good-looking, you know, bright young kid, um, you know, always just having fun on the court. Now you watch him as a sophomore, Shibwe hasn't been the same, um, and now the other day he is, I guess, quote-unquote, stepping away from the program. He won't be back, according to Huggins, like I said, and I use the quote-unquote stepping away because that is what the official, you know, that's what the official wording is. I don't know if he was dismissed. I don't know if he was kicked off. I don't know if it was mutual. I don't know if it was Huggins. I don't know if it was Shibwe. I don't know the ins and outs on that. But, you know, bottom line, he is not with the team anymore. Um, there is some skepticism as to actually, you know, what happened. Um, you know, I'm sure you know Shibwe declared for the NBA draft last year. Um, most people, you know, we didn't, we didn't think he was actually going to leave. Of course, he comes back. He was just getting his feet wet, testing the waters, getting some feedback from scouts and coaches and trainers and, you know, all those people in the NBA. Um, and I, I think that that is what really did it for Oscar Shibwe. Um, kind of the feedback he got, and this happens a lot with, you know, some of these players when they go and, you know, hear some things that they maybe shouldn't have heard from scouts. You know, maybe they want to change their game up. They want to do something that the coaching staff, you know, isn't on board with. I'm sure that Huggins wasn't on board with some of the stuff that Shebwade wanted to do. Um, so he is no longer with the Mountaineers, and that's a that's a big blow for West Virginia. I think that that team stock is going to continue to fall. Um, like I said earlier, this is January 4th. It's about 8:30 Central Time right now. It's 26 to 16 um, in, in Stillwater as the Cowboys are leading West Virginia. If that's a West Virginia loss, man, I, I mean, I think that you are going to be really concerned about this team moving forward. You know, there was a lot, and, and I mean a lot, of, you know, um, hype coming into this, you know, season for West Virginia. They play Gonzaga pretty damn close. They only lose it by five. It was impressive for West Virginia. They beat Georgetown. They beat VCU. So West Virginia has done some things right. They start off conference play 1-0 after a win to Iowa State, only by five points, What's you know, let's be real, that's not very impressive. They go on the road and lose to Kansas, and then they lose to Oklahoma on Saturday. If that score can hold up, of course, it's super early there in the first half, only 26-16. That holds up, though. I think that you are going to be, you know, pressing the panic button real quick here if you're West Virginia. Um, And this has kind of happened a little bit here with Bob Huggins. We remember that was, what, uh, two seasons ago when it was just an absolute train wreck, and it felt like everyone you know, was leaving Morgantown. Huggins kind of lost control of his team, and it happens to the best of coaches in, you know, in college basketball. It, it does happen where you get some bad eggs, and no matter how hard you try or care or want to be there for them, it just doesn't work out. Now, I'm not saying Oscar Shibway's a bad kid, but it's clear that Huggins and him were not on the same page. So moving forward, though, you know, this changes a lot about the dynamics, the X's and O's, the schematics of Bob Huggins is what, you know, his basketball team. I mean, I'm sure you heard it, you know, hear it all the time. If you're watching a game on ESPN and West Virginia is playing, you know, the Twin Towers, they've got Derek Culver, they've got Oscar Shibway, 
give them the ball down low, they're going to score, right? I mean, that's not really a thing anymore. You know, they've got a ton of athletes that I think that, you know, they all bring some good things to the table. But with that being said, you know, now that you really, you know, minus, you know, Sheboy, they're going to struggle and have to kind of create their their offense again. Um, and that's going to be hard to do in the middle of a season, <laughs> not only a season, a COVID season, right? If this was a normal season, you know, give Bob Huggins a few games to adjust. He's going to make some, you know, he's going to tweak some things there and make it work. But this is, it's going to be hard for West Virginia to overcome that loss from Sheboy. You just got to hope and pray if you're a Mountaineer fan that everyone else is, you know, bought in and invested in that team. Um, like I said, I do think that they've got some weapons. You know, Deuce McBride impresses me. I like Emmett Matthews, you know, Gabo Saboyan. I like those players a lot. Um, one of the surprises here for West Virginia is that, you know, Jordan McCabe's only played about nine minutes per game for the Mountaineers. Um, you know, watching him a few years back, I thought that this guy was really going to grow into one of those key role players, um, you know, in the Big 12 Conference. And it just hasn't happened. Like I said, nine minutes per game. Um, and I think the reason, you know, for that is he simply he doesn't do much. And that's not a knock on him. Um, he can facilitate the floor, and that's about it, right? I mean, it kind of reminds you, I guess, when he was a freshman, I was thinking, you know, for K-State fans here, Will Spradling, right? He can just kind of do the little things, hit some shots, you know, facilitate the floor, you know, quality defense, you know, do the little things, right? And it just hasn't really worked out for McCabe. Overall, no, you know, though, nonetheless, I think that West Virginia is in an okay position, but they are certainly not anywhere near um, – the position they were in when they played South Dakota State in their first game of the season to where they are now. A lot has changed. No Shibwe. That's going to hurt West Virginia moving forward. It is Bob Huggins, though. I'm curious to see how this team can respond. They've got Texas coming up on Saturday after this game against Oklahoma State. So I'm I'm anxious to see what this team can do. I, I really am. Are they going to back down? Um, we'll see what happens here. West Virginia, right now they're ranked number 14 in the polls, um, which I think is pretty high like I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't rank them at all I know they've only lost three games KU and Gonzaga are really good teams but they lose to Oklahoma I mean they barely beat Iowa State right I wouldn't have this team ranked I'm sorry I just wouldn't especially with that news from Oscar Shibley we'll move up the line here again and talk about Texas Tech I've got them at number four um, again here this is a quality Texas Tech team um, I, I don't have you know a whole lot to say about the team um, you know, Mac McClung, the Georgetown transfer, um, he's been a baller for Texas Tech. If you don't know his name, and, and quite honestly, you might not have heard it too much if you haven't watched much Texas Tech because he is, you know, this is first year, immediately eligible from Georgetown. Last year he was in the NBA draft, uh, took his name out, now he's in Lubbock. He's got 15 points a game is what he's averaging this season. So, you know, McClung is a baller. Um, Kevin McCuller, and this is what I think that, you know, West, I mean, pardon me, Texas Tech's been kind of eh here and there. Um, you know, they drop a game to Houston early on in the season, and Houston's actually turned out to be a pretty damn good team, right? So that's not really a bad loss. They lose to Kansas by one. They lose to Oklahoma State by five. Other than that, they've won every game, um, and they really don't have an impressive win. They beat Oklahoma by two points. Other than that, though, I don't think they've played even a single um, other Power 5 school. So, but but here's the the thing, Kevin McCuller, he's back. I think that he's been back for two games now. I think he came back against Incarnate Word, and and then of course that Oklahoma State game. Just his presence on the court, um, huge difference maker for Texas Tech. Um, you know he was a a red shirt. Uh, you know he he was in his red shirt season, I believe, 
when Texas Tech went to the Final Four. So did he play in that at all? No, but he had some not only some great guys to you know look up to, but also you know McCullough really knows what it takes to win. Being in that locker room, you know Davide Moretti, you know Brandon Francis, all those guys that you remember, you know Culver, all those guys from that Final Four run. You know McCullough knows what it takes to win. Um, and Chris Beard is one of the emerging. I say this pretty much every time I talk about Texas Tech. Chris Beard is emerging as one of the best coaches in college basketball. They're one and two right now in the Big 12. They're eight and three overall. Those numbers aren't amazing, but overall, man, Chris Beard has proven that he is one of the best coaches, certainly in the Big 12 and of course around the country. Um, I like them at number four. Not a whole lot to say about this Red Raider team. They host Kansas State tomorrow. Um, if this game's close. I wouldn't be surprised, but if it's a, if it's a K-State win, I will be surprised. Um, I think that K-State's really kind of getting screwed here, if we're being honest. Um, with Texas Tech coming off a loss, that's going to be hungry, a hungry team in Lubbock. I don't know if K-State stands much of a chance, but of course we'll wait and find out and see. We'll go back up the line here again and talk about Kansas. Um, I've got them at number three in the Big 12. Again, another team that played Gonzaga. They lost by 12 points, and what's really um, just frustrating is that Baylor never got to play Gonzaga. Um, that would have been easily the best game of the year and probably a Final Four or National Championship game um, You know, preview. But uh, that's apart from the point. Kansas is at number three um, in my rankings. The Jayhawks are the Jayhawks are the Jayhawks, right? And they're going to be, I think, a top two or three team in the Big 12 when it's all said and done. There's no doubt about that, right? Um, Marcus Garrett's been a little bit of a disappointment this year. He's been fine. Um, pardon me, he's been fine, but he's not been, you know, that preseason Big 12 player of the year that we all thought he would be. Now, he, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be critical of him. He has been fine. Um, it's just I thought that, you know, Garrett was going to do a little bit more this season for the Jayhawks. Um, but to fill that void, Ochai Abaji has really stepped up for Kansas in a great way. You know, Jalen Wilson, the freshman, you know, he's been amazing for Bill Self. Um, but I, I still have my reasons for skepticism, you know, with the Jayhawks. And I've, I've got them an, at number three here. I, I'll be honest here. I was close to putting them at number two. But after the, after the Jayhawks lost to Texas, I, it's kind of impossible to put them above the Longhorns. But, you know, I think that there is an argument to be made there, you know. KU, KU, they beat Creighton only by a point, but they still got that done. They beat Texas Tech on the road. They beat West Virginia. Um, you know, they beat Kentucky. Kentucky's pretty awful this year. I get that, but it's still Kentucky. So KU has got some things going in the right direction, but I, I worry about how high this ceiling can be for Kansas, right? Go back to last year. Um, you, know, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a K-State fan, been one my whole life. I feel terrible for Kansas, man. That team was going to win. I, w- I wouldn't say they're, they were going to win. They had as good of a chance as anyone, you know, to win March Madness, right? Let's be real here. They did. And then COVID came and, and canceled that tournament. And, you know, Big Doke is gone. And now Devon Dotson's gone. You know, I think that those guys are, are really big losses for Kansas. I don't think Devon Dotson should have went pro. Um, you know, he should have came back for his junior season. I think he's a little too small for the NBA. We'll see what happens with him. Wish him the best of luck. You know, Dotson's a great young man, but I think another year at Kansas, a lot of your body, maybe to grow half an inch or an inch, put on some more weight, wouldn't be a bad idea. He doesn't agree with me. He's now with the, with the Chicago Bulls. Um, that's Again, that's apart from the point here. You lose Dotson, you lose Azabuki, that's tough. I mean, that is 
that's playing tough, right? And now you've got, you know, Lightfoot down there who's, I think, maybe getting a little exposed. I mean, we saw that against Texas, man. Um, you know, big Dave McCormick. Um, you know, me and my friends joke all the time. You know, when McCormick gets the ball, you just got to put your, you know, your hand in your face and just put your head down and start laughing like, oh, God, what's he going to do this time? I mean, he just plays kind of sporadic and crazy on the court. But, you know, he's trying his hardest. But I don't know how confident I am in, you know, David McCormick, Lightfoot. I don't know how, you know, confident I am in Christian Brown. Um, You know, he's averaging 30 minutes a game, right? Um, You know, 30 minutes and nine field goals is not what Christian Brown should average if Kansas wants to win the Big 12. Now, Christian Brown is a fine, fine, fine role player. I just don't think that he is one of those elite players in the Big 12, okay? he I, He's just not in my mind. If you want to argue um, you know, about that with me, go ahead. I'm all ears, but I just don't see, I don't think he has that quote-unquote it factor to him. Um, you know, he's someone that should, I think, maybe shooting, you know, five three-pointers a game, getting him those open looks is not a bad idea. You know, shooting three-pointers isn't a bad thing, right? I talked about earlier, Kansas State shot 25 three-pointers against TCU. That's bad. Why? Because they were just chucking up shots and, you know, praying it went in, right? Bill Self, one of the best coaches in college basketball, gets his guys open, right? Svi Mikhailuk was not a special player. Okay, I'm sorry, he was not. Was he a special three-point shooter? Hell yeah, he was. That dude was automatic from the corner. That ball leaves Svi Mikhailuk's hand. It's going in. Every time, you know it. But he's not that good of a player, right? It's because Bill Self's offense got him an open three-pointer seemingly every possession. So, you know, that's what it's about. If Christian Brown can, you know, take nine field goals a game, right, that's not, I guess, terrible. But 30 minutes per game, I just don't know if I I see that in, you know, an elite Big 12 player. So, again, it's not a terrible thing because Bill Self's getting him open shots. I just don't know if this is the Kansas team we're used to seeing, right? Marcus Garrett needs to step it up a little bit more. Ochai Abaji can only do so much, um, you know, for this team. But here we are again, right? And I, again, I say this all the time when I talk about Kansas. Happens every flipping year. There's, there's so many reasons to believe that Kansas won't win the Big 12, right? There's so many reasons. Baylor's good. Texas is good. Texas just blew out Kansas at home. They don't have a body. Pardon me. They don't have Azabuke. They don't have Dotson. There's so many reasons. It happens every year. Go back to, you know, last year. Baylor, in the first half of the season, was better than Kansas. That, of course, flipped, and Kansas became, you know, pretty much the, you know, front runner for the title game, right? Year before that, it actually did happen. K-State and Texas Tech split the Big 12. Um, what was that? The year before that was Trey Young. Year before that, Buddy Heald, you know, every year, West Virginia's got a good press. They're going to be good this year, you know. Uh, oh, uh, he, this team's going to be good. That team's going to be good. Happens every year. I don't need to get into, you know, year by year, but every year it happens where we always say, this is the year where Kansas doesn't win the Big 12. I'm saying it, right? I have them ranked number three. Baylor looks really, really good in Waco, but I still have my reasons to just in the back of my mind. Happens every year where you think that, KU is not going to get it done, and they somehow get it done. I do not write Kansas off quite yet. Bill Self's a great coach. Um, you know, he's got his guys locked in. The, the the whole NCAA investigation stuff is beside them. They are not focusing on that. They're focusing on winning games, and they're quite honestly winning most of their games. Right? They haven't won all of them, um, but they're doing well in in Lawrence. So they're right now they're eight and two. 
two and one in you know the Big 12. And if you're a KU fan, you're probably hitting the panic button after that Texas game. Guess what? Two games before that, you beat Texas Tech on the road and you beat West Virginia. That's fine, right? And you beat you know Texas Tech was only by one, but you handled West Virginia by 14 points, right? So I think Kansas moving forward is going to be fine. I'm tempted to put them up above Texas, like I said. I just don't know how high their ceiling is. I think that right now, that Texas loss was about as low um, as you'll see them all year long. Will they lose some more games? Sure, but I don't think they're going to lose by you know what 20 some points or however much they did to Texas, right? So th- this was probably the low point of the season for Kansas. Just remember that if you are um, a Jayhawk fan. One last thing that I've got noted down for the Jayhawks. Um, this was I this I believe this was back in November when the Jayhawks lost to Gonzaga, and Jeff Goodman. Um, he essentially tweeted out something saying um, Kansas doesn't have enough talent. You know, Kansas doesn't have the talent that Kansas is used to having. Um, they're they're a good team, but they're not a great team. I can't remember what the tweet exactly had said, but Kansas fans were irate and they were lighting him up. And you know, he just got bullied on Twitter left and right. And I don't, I, I, he's not wrong, but he's not right. I'm kind of in the middle here. I get what he's saying, and I alluded to it. Without Dodson, without Azabuke, I get it. They're not going to be as good, right? But this, you know, they've still got talented pieces, you know, of that puzzle that Bill Self is going to move around and, and really make this. Um, he's going to bring the best out of these guys as he can. So moving forward, you know, Goodman. I, if you're a KU fan, you certainly remember this because I'm sure you probably replied to his tweet and said a curse word or called him an idiot or something like that. Um, I do agree. They don't have as much talent as they are used to having. Let's be real. Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid, you know, Devontae Graham, Frank Mason. Let's go down the line here. I don't think they have one of those guys this season. I mean, Jalen Wilson's got some potential. Marcus Garrett's a heck of a player. He's taken a little bit of a step back, but I mean, I, I get it. They've got players, but this is not what Kansas is used to having on the, on the floor. That's, I mean, I don't think you can argue that. I, I'm trying to defend Kansas as much as I can here because moving forward, I think that this, like I said, this is the low point of the season for Kansas. If it gets lower than this, I'd be surprised. Overall, KU's going to be fine. They're talented. They're just not, you know, this is not what they're used to having um, in Lawrence. You know, a home loss. This was Bill Self's worst home loss ever in Allen Fieldhouse. So, that, I mean, that... Maybe shows you that KU's not as good, or maybe Texas is just really good. Maybe a mixture of the two. Um, a, a nice segue into um, our number two team here, Texas. Um, I've got the Longhorns in the two spot. I am a little skeptical of this Longhorns team. If you've been listening to me or here, I've been doing this podcast for, for what, almost two years now. Um, I'm always, always, always going to be skeptical of Shaka Smart. And I don't necessarily have a reason I don't have you know a pinpoint I don't have really I don't have my finger on why um but I think my I mean Ryan Wallace from gopowercat.com um he is the football guy he doesn't know a, a whole ton about basketball but his theory on on you know on on, on Tom Herman is, is essentially that you know not only Tom Herman but any coach at Texas it's just there's too much pressure You've got the Longhorn Network. You've got to you got to do like 18 shows during the week. You've got you know the title being head coach at Texas that you know carries a lot. There's a, a very high standard for Texas. It's hard to coach at Texas, right? And I think the same thing can kind of be said here 
for Shaka Smart. Football is a lot different than basketball because the standard of Texas football is higher than the standard of Texas basketball. But Shaka Smart's still around, right? I just, I still am, um, I'm, I'm skeptical of what Shaka Smart can get out of these guys, right? Um, and, and looking at his guys, I, I don't know how this is the, the fourth ranked team in the country. They looked really good in the Maui Invitational, even though that game was, that tournament was played in what, like Louisville or something, <laughs> or maybe it was like South Carolina. I can't remember. I'm getting old. Um, they looked good. They looked impressive. They beat Dayton, uh, pardon me, Davidson, and then they beat Indiana, and then they beat North Carolina. So those, that's impressive. Good job for Texas. But then right after that, they lost to Villanova. And that is where, you know, immediately, the, the next game, they lost to Villanova. And Villanova's a fine team, right? Don't, don't get me wrong. But this is always what happens. I think Texas has beaten North Carolina um, a few times in the past couple of seasons, and people got really high on them. And then they lost a game that they shouldn't have lost. And I'm not saying that they necessarily should have beaten Nova, but I think that they maybe um, gained a little too much confidence after that, you know, Maui Invitational win, right? Long story short here, I'm still skeptical of Shaka Smart. Um, I have my reasons to doubt him. Um, you know, you look at the, the the talent that he has had, right? You know, he went back to back to back with Mo Bamba, um, Jared Allen, and Jackson Hayes, right? You know, centers that are now in the NBA that are having pretty good careers. Uh, you, you're, you're probably thinking, wait, they were at Texas. Why wasn't Texas so good? And, and my reason for being skeptical of this team is Shaka Smart getting the best out of his players. I don't think he does. I think that he can get a you know tremendous talent. He can get good players. But at the end of the day, he doesn't really bring the best out of them. They do better in the NBA than they do at Texas. So, I mean, the same thing can be said for this year. I think that Greg Brown, um, you know, I talked about, you know, TCU with Miles and the freshman that they've got, right? I, I think that outside of, you know, maybe Miles and maybe Cade Cunningham, that Greg Brown is the best freshman in the Big 12, right? So he's got talent, right? I just don't know if this is an elite team in the Big 12. Shaka Smart's coaching, I don't, I'm, I'm simply talking X's and O's schematics here. I don't think Shaka Smart's coaching is going to excel his team above, you know, let's say Scott Drew or Chris Beard or Bill Self, right? I, I, that's my personal take. I could be wrong. I could be right. But, you know, he's, he's got his talent, and that's what he's going to have to fall back on. But how good is his talent is really just where I, you know, that's where it all comes to me. Like, okay, is Matt Coleman really that good? You know, Courtney Ramey, is he really that good? Jericho Sims, who had a heck of a day. Uh, you know, against Kansas on Saturday, right? Andrew Jones, we all know the story about him and his health issues, right? Heck of a story, an amazing story. I just have my questions about this team. Are they elite? I don't think so. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I want Texas to be successful. The Big 12 is just an overall better conference if Texas is elite like they used to be. Um, Chaka Smart, I certainly hope he can get it together as well. I've kind of just rambled on there with Texas. I don't know if my point makes much sense, my, my point overall, to bring it all together here for Texas, Chaka Smart's not an amazing coach. I'm not a big fan of him. I'm still skeptical of this team. They've got talent. They've got the pieces. I just don't think they're an elite team in the Big 12. I think a few weeks from now, Kansas is going to hop Texas in the polls again. Um, right now, I think Texas is above Kansas. I'm okay with that. I agree. But moving forward here, I think Kansas has a much higher ceiling than Texas, and they can probably do some more 
you know, things on the court than the Longhorns can do. Last, but certainly not least here, um, we got Baylor at number one. No doubt about this one. I think that you can maybe say a few things about Texas and Kansas at the 2-3 spot. Baylor's number one. And I saw this team play here in Manhattan against Kansas State, and boy, are they something special, right? This is, um, you know, like I said earlier, that game against Gonzaga, what a shame that that had to get canceled due to COVID-19. Um, what an amazing game that would have been. You know, they blew out Illinois. They blew out Washington. You know, this team is just on another level right now. Now, they haven't played the best of Big 12 teams. They're only 2-0, and both of those wins have been over Kansas State and Iowa State, who, like we talked about, are not that good, right? So they're, they're 2-0, but they're bottom-feeding right now. And I think the biggest thing for Baylor moving forward, this happened last season, cruise control or, you know, putting on auto, autopilot, whatever you want to call it here. We saw this, and I talked about it when I was talking about Kansas, how, how last year Kansas emerged as the better team in the Big 12 over Baylor, even though in the first half of the season it looked like Baylor was, the, the you know, the number one team. What happened? Baylor pretty much got complacent. I think they might have gotten a little bored, um, you know, just kind of, you know, shut off the lights halfway through the season and said, hey, we're better than this team. You know, we're better than K-State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, TCU. We're, we're way better than these teams. We don't even need to try. I don't even need to go in the gym and get those extra shots. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not pointing fingers and saying that they're not good kids because I think that not only Scott Drew, um, you know, has a good team, he's got some good players as well, quality young men. I was impressed with the Baylor Bears when I saw them here in Manhattan. Um, but but Scott Drew keep re- retaining this positive positiveness, the good momentum they've got going here in Waco is going to be extremely crucial for Baylor moving forward, right? If he can keep this up, this is going to be a Big 12 champion team. Whether they tie it with KU or Texas or someone else, or they win it outright, I don't know. If they keep this up, though, they're going to be Big 12 champs. But their next two games, Oklahoma and then TCU— you know, those are two games that are winnable, super winnable. They shouldn't lose those games. If they continue to buy in and try, I'm a big fan of Baylor. You know, Jarek Butler, Macy Oteague, they've got just weapon after weapon after weapon. I mean, I, it goes, we don't even need to talk about Baylor too much. If there's any reason um, that you don't think Baylor's the number one team in the Big 12, please let me know because I couldn't think of one, if I'm being honest with you. This is the best team um, arguably, arguably, pardon me, in the nation, certainly the best team um, in the Big 12. You know, they've beaten in the non-con, like I said, Illinois, Gonzaga, you know, just blowing out those guys. Um, they blew out Kansas State by what? I don't know. I think it was like a 30-point victory or something here. Um, and, and I think that was a, a good loss for Kansas State to kind of be shown what it takes to be elite in the Big 12 conference um, with, with such a young team. But, you know, I think the, the, the proof is in the pudding right here with Baylor. Um, to back up my point, that game against Iowa State, they only won it by 11 points. Um, Iowa State usually is a tough place to play, but without you know Hilton Magic and a home crowd in Ames, it's really not at all. So there's no excuse for that game being so close. Like I said when I was talking about the Cyclones, you know, I think it was like a two- or three-point game with about 10 minutes to go in that one. So... That's my, my point right there is that Baylor almost lost to Iowa State, right? They had to finally wake up after hitting snooze, you know, time and again in the first half. They woke up and, and won the game, yes, but you can't do that against, you know, 
the entire Big 12 slate. Someone's going to get you, right? So that's the biggest key for me moving forward. Baylor's got to continue to stay locked in every day, giving it their all um, and, and, and continuing to, you know, excel over everyone in the Big 12 conference. So, you know, like I said, Baylor, number one, man, you can't argue that one right there. You can argue a lot of these. I think that, you know, TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, there are six, seven, eight spots. Those can be changed. I think Texas and West Virginia, uh, pardon me, Texas Tech and West Virginia, those can be changed. You can argue a lot of these things here. Baylor at number one cannot. So uh, let's go back down the line here to wrap up the show. Baylor at number one, Texas at number two, Kansas at number three, Texas Tech at number four. West Virginia is at number five into the bottom half of the standings now. Oklahoma State at six, Oklahoma at seven, Horn Frogs at TCU at eight, and Kansas State is at nine. Iowa State down there alone at number 10. And this is just going to be a heck of a, you know, a season here. Knock on wood that, that nothing else gets canceled. Right now, every uh, program is good to go. We've had quite a few cancellations um, so far this season, but this is as good as the Big 12 has been in quite some time. I think this team has a chance to, pardon me, this league has a chance to get eight teams into um, March Madness. We that was announced today that everything was going to be played in Indianapolis. Um, you know, I, I was looking at bracketology, and the regions are like the in the Lucas Oil region or the whatever region. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> if this isn't 2020, I get I guess it's 2021 now. But if this doesn't sum up the COVID um, COVID lifestyle we've been living, I don't know what will. So moving forward here, man. Next week on the show, we'll be talking some Texas football and basketball as well. Um, be sure to stay tuned. Um, as we talk about not only the Longhorns, but just the Big 12 Bulls as a whole, as we recap um, each of the five games. The Big 12, like I said, 5-0 and um, in bowl season, just embarrassing schools like Florida, you know, Colorado, Oregon. It was tremendous. Miami, it was tremendous to see the Big 12 excel in those bowl games. Um, but that's about it for the show here. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to this. Um, whether you're from Go Powercat, whether you are on the original feed, um, I, I genuinely do appreciate each and every one of you that listens. Again, be sure to follow us on 10 um, on Twitter at 10 of 12 podcast. Excuse me. You can stay up to date with everything going on around the league. Other than that, though, I am Ryan Gilbert. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.